All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Yeah, I got to drop it like it's hot. Go Cavs. That's right. They did get a win. I know some of you aren't Cavs fans, but that's all right. I got the platform, so tolerate, tolerate me or celebrate me, but go Cavs. Listen, I ain't, I ain't going on to you until I get some love. Go Cavs. There we go. See? See, there's a little thing. I don't know if you picked that up, but the, but the louder you cheer the preacher, the faster he goes. Yeah, that's, hey, that's all right. I'll take it. Well, I know all of us in this room, we all carry a mobile device in our pocket called a cell phone. And here's a funny thing, man. Cell phones, they're either funny or they're frustrating, right? All of us have probably some funny stories that have happened. Um, I got a great story. Several weeks ago, I was uh, on, on the phone with my dad, and uh, this little place where he sits, kind of his little man cave, this little sitting room he has, right next to this little couch he sits on, he's got a little end table, and he has, you know, his cable remote. And he's never kind of done the universal remote thing. So he's got a, you know, a VCR remote and a DVD remote. And he's got like three or four remotes. Plus, he keeps his cell phone there. He keeps a little calculator there in case there's things. So he's got like all of these devices, right? So I called him a couple weeks ago. And we were chatting on the phone. And he needed to go look something up. So he puts his phone down. And uh, about two minutes later, I hear him talking in the background. I mean, he sounds real faint and far away. So I think maybe he's just talking to my mom. But like I can hear bits and pieces of the conversation, and it's about what we were talking about. So I'm thinking, what's he doing? So I start yelling the phone, Dad, Dad. And finally, I hear him laugh, and he picks up, like you hear this scramble, and he picks up. He says, Steve, you'll never believe it. I was talking to you on the TV remote. <laughs> he picked up the wrong thing. He's having a whole conversation. So, you know, all of us have had kind of these funny episodes, but Honestly, probably all of us would know and believe this is sometimes having a mobile device, having a cell phone can be frustrating. There's those times you can't get a signal or you lose a signal. And one of the most challenging things, especially for me, anytime I travel, if I'm going to be on the road for an extended period of time, that's when I make phone calls to people that typically I don't have time to talk to. It's times I'll call pastor friends of mine and, you know, I'll have the time in the car to have a 10 or 15 minute conversation to chat about what God's doing in our life, talk about family, to talk about ideas, whatever it is. Sometimes that's when I'll call family members that I've not talked to in a long time. Again, it's just on the road, I have the opportunity to have longer conversations that I may typically have time for. But all of us have been in this place. Have you ever been driving down the road or just on the phone and you're in the middle of like a five minute story and you get all the way through your story and there's no response? Like there's just silence, and it hits you that at some point in the conversation, the signal dropped, but you didn't know it, but you just kept on talking, right? And it's like, what happened? And you don't know when it dropped, so when you call him back, you're starting over. <laughs> you start the whole story back over. The funny thing is, or maybe the frustrating thing is, that oftentimes our spiritual journey is often the same way. That, man, things are going great in our relationship with God, man, we're we feel like, man, our prayer life is on point. We feel like, man, we have devotion time. Man, we're in church. Like, we feel like, man, we're in a great place with God. And, and something changes. We don't know when it changed. We don't know why it changed. But all of a sudden, it feels like our connection with God, it feels like the signal dropped. It feels like all of a sudden that God has abandoned us, that, like God's not there on the other end of the phone. And so through this series, we're going to tackle this topic that we're calling When God Goes Dark. Like, what do you do when you feel like God's abandoned you? What do you feel like you do? Like, well, how do we respond when we feel like God was close and now he's gone? He's, he's nowhere to be found, that, that, that we're, we're, we're praying and we don't feel like he's hearing us. We don't feel like he's answering. We don't sense him near like we used to. As a Christian, how do you respond when you feel like you've been forsaken? 
How do you handle those moments when it feels like that God has forgotten you? See, the reality is all of us have been there, all of us, especially if you've been serving God for any amount of time. Like we've gone through these seasons where God is silent, where God is quiet, where God feels like, again, he's just not near any longer. We feel forgotten. We feel forsaken. So today as we jump into this series, I want to look at some lyrics to a song. They are about, uh, about 3,000 years old. Now, what we're going to look at is a psalm. Now, you may or may not know this, but the book of Psalms found in the Bible, if you open your Bible up right in the middle, are the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms really are a book of songs. And so what you're looking at really are song lyrics. And this song that we're going to look at today for a few minutes is written by this guy by the name of Asaph. Asaph, sounds like a heavy metal artist. Asaph is writing these lyrics. Now, what you need to know is he's writing on behalf of King David. King David being the king, he has all of these special people in position. And so he positions Asaph as his chief musician. He's the guy that writes some of the lyrics to things that David's facing. He's the guy that writes songs reflecting what's happening in the nation of Israel. He's the guy that just writes some of his own frustrations, some of his own disappointments, some of his own victories. And as we jump into this psalm, Psalm 77, if you have your Bible, you can turn there or you can watch the verses up on the jumbotron. Here's what Asaph says. Again, dealing with this situation and what you're going to find is really, really common. He says this. He says, I cry out to God. Come on, every voice, read this. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. Come on, every voice, read this with me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. Watch this. He says, I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. And then you see this word, interlude. See, again, because the purpose of this psalm is it's a song. And oftentimes you'll find this word, and depending on the translation you read, in this translation it's interlude. Some translations, it's this word, Selah. Everybody say that, Selah. Another word to choose is amen. The purpose of this is, like, this is, imagine the song being sung. This is where, like, the guitar riff kicks in. Like, there's no singing, but, like, the, the drum solo kicks in. That's what this is. And the purpose of it in the song is for music to kick in, for people to have an opportunity to kind of reflect on what's being sung. Like all of us, come on, all of us have those songs, those love songs. We're like, yeah, that's me. Man, I've been brokenhearted. Man, I'm in love. This is a song, and as Asaph is writing it, he pauses, interlude, for us to like consider. And let's be honest, all of us in this room have been at a place, man, where we were praying and God wasn't answering, where we were seeking God and we felt like we couldn't find him, where we felt like, man, God was no longer near. Have you ever been in the place where you prayed and God just didn't answer? Have you ever been in a place where, like, you needed wisdom, like there was a next season in life coming? Maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was a business, maybe it was a career path. And like you were praying, like, God, what do, I, what do I do? What's the right step? What's the right move? And you just felt like God wasn't answering you. Have you ever been in a place where you just felt like, man, there was a time God was so close, and, man, you knew your relationship with God was on point, but now he's nowhere near, like God's presence, like you just feel like he's no longer there. Because this is what Asaph is writing about. He's identifying with all of us in this room. He's saying we've all been there where we felt like God had forgotten us. So what do you do, man, when you feel that way? What do you do when you feel rejected? Well, Asaph responds the way a lot of us would respond. He responds with this, this emotional frustration, and he writes this. 
Has the Lord, come on, read this. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And again, interlude. It's like, think about, have you felt that way? Have you ever experienced like what he's talking about? Not about you, but um, sociologists, counselors um, will tell you in your relationship, especially in your marriage, you should never use the words never and always because they're such broad brush statements and they're generally not true, right? Like, for example, if you say to your spouse, like, you never help me clean up around here. Well, I don't know, but I may not help much, but never, that's a strong word. You always leave the toilet seat up. Most of the time, but not always, right? I mean, that's, well, you should never use those words because they're not true. And notice what Asaph is saying. God, you've forgotten me forever. You're never going to be close to me again. You've abandoned me forever. He's using these big words. And you ask, like, why? Why such a strong emotional response? And, and here's why. is because he has a strong emotional reaction to his deepest desire. His deepest desires be connected with his creator. But because of what he's going through, man, he feels frustrated. He feels discouraged. He feels abandoned. He feels forgotten. Have you ever been there where you felt that way? Where you felt like God wasn't listening? Where you felt like he didn't hear a word you prayed? Like, man, you were crying out. Man, your prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. Here's what I want you to know right out of the gate. If you're in one of those seasons where, man, God's not done the thing you thought he should do, like you prayed for a miracle and God didn't come through, you prayed for a loved one and they're still in a bad situation, like you're praying for help and it's not coming through, you need wisdom and God's not speaking to you, I want you to know this on the front end, that it's okay for you to be frustrated at God. It's okay for you to even share what you're feeling. I want you to know that God is big enough to shoulder your strongest emotions. In fact, that's exactly what Asaph is doing. Don't miss it, but he's calling God's character into question. God, you said you're there, but you're not. God, where are you at? I want you to know that you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to hide your feelings from God. He is big enough to shoulder it if you're big enough to share it. It's okay. It's okay. But in the middle of your frustration, in the middle of what you're going through, I don't want you to miss this right here, that you can never confuse, don't confuse God's silence for God's absence. Listen, God might be quiet, but I want you to know something. He is there. He never promised that there would be seasons in our life that he never promised we would never be without his voice, but he did promise that we would never be without his presence. He said it this way. In fact, David wrote it this way. David said that God is an ever-present help in time of trouble. God's always there. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what season I'm in, God is always there. He made it this way. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. He said, God will never leave me and he'll never forsake me. Everybody say never. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. You say, wait a minute, but why don't I hear him? I mean, any, any wives here married to husbands that are kind of quiet? Come on. Like that's, that's, the, that's the hallmark of men is grunts and moans and silence. And sometimes God is going to be silent in your life. But I want you to know something. He is still there, and that should be comfort to us. My, uh, my wife, um, she's, she's one of those people. I don't know how many people are this way in this room. Like, I have a hard time going to sleep. I have a hard time staying asleep. Like, I'm just not a good sleeper. My wife, on the other hand, like, you put her in a bed and a pillow underneath her head in, like, 3.9 seconds, she's out. Come on. Like, I want to punch her in the spine when she goes to sleep that quick. Like, it's not even fair. 
But here's what she'll tell me this. If I travel, if I'm on a mission trip or if I'm just traveling on a business meeting, she'll tell me this, man, Steve, when you're not there, like, man, I just can't sleep. Now, I just want you to know something. We're not up having deep, intimate conversations at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm there. But you know what she's saying? There's just something comforting about your pre- You're not talking to me, but there's something comforting about your presence. So I want everybody to know something today. You may not sense God speaking to you. You may feel his silence, but I want you to have the guarantee and the promise that his presence is there, and he is with you even when you don't feel him. And that's something to hang on to. That's a promise God's made to every person in this room. Come on, can somebody give God some love in this room? But what do you do? I mean, still at the end of the day, man, disappointment is difficult. When you feel like God's not there, when you don't sense him, when he is silent, when you feel abandoned, when you are in a dark night of the soul, like, what do you do? A lot of times, man, we start asking questions. A lot of times we start pointing blame. What's wrong with me? Like, what's what's going on? What's, like, am I involved in something? Like, what's happening with me? We start questioning ourselves. Sometimes we even start questioning God. Maybe God's not who we thought he was. Maybe God's not who, we, who, who the preacher told us he was. Maybe God's not good. Maybe God's not loving. Maybe God's not a help. And so we start asking, asking all these questions. And so today, ultimately, I want to answer this question. What do we do? What do we do when God is silent? What do we do when we feel like God is not near? Well, notice what Asaph does. And here's where it starts to turn a little bit. He says this. Every voice, read this with me. He says, and I said, this is my fate. The most high God has turned his hand against me. Everybody shout this next word. Come on, everybody shout this word. But I may feel like he's abandoned me. I may feel like he's forgotten me. He might be silent. He might be far away. I might feel like I'm forsaken. But here we go. Then I recall all that you have done, O Lord. I remembered your wonderful deeds of long ago. What I've come to tell you today is in a season of silence, you do not allow amnesia to be an option. Amnesia is not an option. There's a lot of things we forget in this world. Come on, we forget birthdays. We forget anniversaries. Somebody help me. We forget all kinds of things, but don't forget how good God's been. You might forget your doctor's appointment, but don't forget how good God's been. You might forget to feed your animals in the morning, but don't forget to believe and know how good God is. Amnesia is not an option. Forget your mama's birthday. Forget your anniversary. Forget where your phone is. Forget where your keys are, but don't forget that God is good. It's the turning point in a season of silence. We can endure God's silence by remembering his faithfulness. Everybody in this room, come on, if God's been faithful to you, if God's been good to you, if you've got something to say about a season that he was near, that he did answer, that he did show up, come on, somebody make some noise in this house for God. There's this, there's this word that's used, especially in the New Testament. It's used about 20 times by Jesus, and it's this word steward. Steward. Everybody say the word steward. It's a noun. You and I, if, if you're a Christ follower, we are, we are called a steward. And it's also a verb. Stewards are called to steward. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a steward or to steward something? To steward means managing God's resources for God's glory. Everybody shout, I'm a steward. God's called you and God's called me to be a steward, to take the resources that he's given us and he's placed in our care and to use it in a way that brings him glory. And there's lots of things in in scripture, there's lots of things in our spiritual journey that we're called to steward or to manage for God's glory. We're called to steward our money. 
Come on, somebody. The, the Bible makes it really clear that the money you have in your bank account and the money on your, it might be, it might be under your social security number in your 401k, and you might have your name on it in the bank, but it's not yours, it's God's. The Bible says that the earth is God's, everything, the fullness of it, it's all his. We are just called to steward it. We're just, ma- we're just hanging on to it, and we're just called to manage it for him. That's why tithing isn't giving God anything. It's bringing back to God what already belongs to him. Come on, somebody. We're called to be tithers because being tithers, we're stewarding the resource of money. We're called to steward our time. Everybody in this room, we have 24 hours a day, and there's lots of stuff to do, and we gotta, we, we got we to gotta mow lawns, and we gotta, we got to spend time with our spouse, and we got to run our kids to ball fields and practices and, and, and piano recitals, and we got to do all this stuff. But in the middle of doing all the stuff you feel like you have to do with your time, don't forget it's not your time. It's time God's given you to use, which means i got to make room in my calendar to love people. I know I might be busy on the way to the meeting, but sometimes you've got to stop and pull over and help somebody who's broke down because you use time God's given you for God's glory. Is anybody following me today? Sometimes we've got to steward our talent, that God's given, you, God's given you aspirations, and there's things you can do that nobody else can do. God's given you a specific character or, or makeup. God's given you a personality. God's given you a gift set. And I'm just telling you, there's nothing wrong with using who you are to leverage it for a paycheck. But at the end of the day, we got to leverage who we are for the glory of God. That means showing up sometimes and finding a place where you love babies, where you hold doors, where you hold cameras, because we're doing what we do for the glory of God. I'm taking my talent and I'm using it to lift up the name of Jesus. We are called stewards in this house. Let me give you one more that'll help us today. We are called to steward our story. Everybody in this room, God's given you a story to tell. Everybody in this room, God has given you a story, and you need to steward it well. And sometimes we don't steward it well because we forget everything that God's done for us. And when you steward your story well, when you remember what God has done, it helps offset the silence when we feel like God isn't there. See, if I'm going through a season of silence right now, what Asaph is saying is I need to go back and I don't remember. Everybody shout, remember. I need to remember what God has done. I need to recall where God showed up in my life. Let me just give you a couple. I'm going to steward my story in front of you. In November 1988, I was driving home from work. I just started going to church. About, I was about two months into church. Didn't grow up in the church. Didn't know anything about Jesus. But I was dating, who's now my wife. She got me in church. So I wasn't saved yet, but I was going. On my way home from work, about 11 o'clock at night, I was in a hurry to get home. I wanted to get home and change and go out and party because that's what I did on Friday nights. In a, in a quick rush to get home, uh, I didn't see this driver. He didn't have his headlights on. It was his fault, but I got hit head on by a drunk driver. I could show you pictures of the car. The car was absolutely destroyed. My knee caved in the dashboard. My chest broke the steering wheel. My back broke the bucket seat. My face, you can see my, the imprint of my face on the windshield. It flipped my car around and pushed it about 50 yards down the road. But in the middle of all of it, even though I didn't have a seatbelt on, I walked away from that automobile accident without a scratch. I look back and I say, God is good. I say, God's a rescuer. Come on, somebody. Listen, fast forward, fast forward about four months later, March 19, 1989. A lot of you have heard this story, but for the first time, I just didn't listen to a message, but I heard God's love. Like it clicked and it made sense that God didn't just love the world, but God loved Steve Husky, that I might've had some mistakes in my life, but he loved me in spite of me. And this preacher preached a message about God's love and gave me an opportunity to respond in front of thousands of teenagers at the age of 17. I walked down front and said yes to God's love, yes to his mercy, yes to his grace. And I have never been the same since because God saved me on that day. God is a God who saves. Come on, somebody. 
Like I, you can just, I can just fast forward through all the times that God has showed up in my life. Fast forward to, uh, fast forward to about, uh, about March, 1993, March, 1993. I was working at Bible college. I was working for a place called roadway packaging system, roadway packaging system. My job was, I was an unloader. They would bring in trucks and it was my job to unload the truck as fast as possible. So they could process the packages onto little mini trucks and get them delivered. Well, my job every day was I got the office supply truck which was a, was a rig, was a big trailer. And so as you got further into the trailer, you had to put racks of metal wheels as you got further in that would be an extension to get the packages down out of the back of the truck. Well, you know the number one office supply? Paper. How many people know that paper is not light? So every night there was 10 to 15 pallets of paper on the trucks that I had to unload, which means I had to pick them up and we had to unload them at six to 800 packages per hour, which means I had to grab this and as hard as I could throw it down this, to make it all the way to the assembly line, grab it as fast as I could, 600 packages. I don't know what a case of paper weighs, but it's not light. And I'll never forget this one night, man, I'm working. I grab this package and I go to throw it and I hear just that noise. Like it just, and immediately it felt like someone just jabbed a knife right in my midsection. I fell to my knees. Man, I was in pain that I've, only time it's ever been matched a kidney stone. Come on for the kidney stones. Man, I just couldn't move. I, I could, I, if I got up, I just couldn't lift up very high at all. Long story short, man, I ended up going to, uh, to an emergency room to this little dock in a box place. This doctor examined me. He was concerned. He said, it sounds like you have torn a muscle. He said, I'm concerned you're going to bleed inside. He said, you really need to go to an emergency room and get, get checked out. He said, I'm concerned for you. I was in such pain. I couldn't stand up, but I didn't have insurance. I just didn't want to go. So I drove myself back to the dorm like I couldn't lift up barely to see over the steering wheel. I looked like an 85-year-old man driving. Like all you could see is knuckles in my forehead. That's it. And I made it back, and I'm, I'm walking in my dorm room, and my RA, his name was Kevin. Kevin was a godly man, loved the Lord. And I'm walking literally up to my dorm room like this, just in pain, but I just can't get up at all. He says, Steve, what's going on? And I told him what happened. He said, man, come in. I want to pray for you. Man, Kevin anointed me with oil, and he prayed, man, that God would touch me and heal me. I'm telling you, in that moment, I sensed the presence of God. That pain immediately left, but I didn't believe it. I thought, man, as soon as I stand up, it's going to come back. But just little by little, I just stood up. I'm telling you, in that moment, that pain was gone and never returned. I got the doctor's report that said what I had. I'm telling you, my story declares that God saves and God heals and God sets free. Can I give you one more? Can I give you one more? Because we're almost there. June 4th, 1996, our youngest daughter was born, Kayla Marie Husky. Named after my mother, Marie. Till later I found out her middle name's not Marie, it's Marlene. But we tried. You get an A. You get an A for effort. You get an A for effort. And when, when Kayla was born, when Kayla was born, man, you know that, that, that anxious, you just can't wait to hold your baby, right? Well, Kayla, man, she comes out and, you know, immediately the nurses grabbed her and whisked her off on this other table. And we're kind of panicked, like, you know, what's going on with our baby? And they come over and they tell us that she had ingested something. It was in her lungs. And so she was in duress. And not just that, but they were able to tell that she had a hole in her heart. And the doctors come and tell us, hey, you know, this is it's not uncommon, but it, it should heal possibly in, in days or, or maybe weeks. Or we might have to do surgery to close the hole. But kind of the hole in her heart, kind of on top of what was going on in her lungs, she was just in duress. And so we didn't get to hold her right away. So we were scared and we were frustrated. So you know what we did? We prayed. And instead of days or weeks or months or a surgery, in 12 hours, they brought our baby girl in 100% whole and healed because we have a God who's able to do anything. So I'm just telling you, listen to me. 
All of us in this room, has anybody here got a story where God saved you? Come on, make some noise. Where God delivered you, where God showed up for you, where God provided for you, where God did a miracle in your family. Come on, make some noise. When you steward your story, it's a way to offset the silence of God. Come on, somebody. If you're taking notes this way, remembering God's faithfulness in our past encourages us to expect God's fruitfulness in our future. See, God doesn't change, and God has been with me so many times in my life. God has showed up and showed out and showed off. You're saying, Pastor Steve, you're talking about stories from the 80s. I'm telling you, I could give you three or four stories right now that we've experienced in the last seven days where God has showed up in our family. And it's so easy to forget those, especially in a season where God is silent. But when you pull back and you recall where God has showed up, when you recall and remember where God has been faithful, it's a way, man, to offset the silence. And so he goes on, Asaph goes on, he says this. He says, they are constantly in my thoughts. Everybody say constantly. I'm just telling you, I serve a God who moves mountains, and so what's one more mountain to a mountain-moving God? And so he says, they're constantly in my thoughts. I can't stop thinking about your mighty works. Did you notice, like, this guy starts off with, like, God, where are you at? I can't find you. You've abandoned me. You've forgotten me. I'm never going to have a relationship with you again. God, I feel like your grace is gone forever. And then he starts remembering. And something changes. And he says now, he says now, instead of my head being filled with all this despair, he says now, man, the only thing I can think about is your goodness. I just want you to know something. Everybody in this room, you have limited mental capacity. There's only so much stuff you can think about. There's only... So, much, so many things that can have your focus, which means the more you will fill your mind with the goodness of God in your life, the less room there is for despair. The less room there is to doubt, man, when you just start filling up, remembering with what God has done in your past. And this is what he's saying. Like, man, I just keep remembering. We're in vacation season, right? Everybody here, I know a lot of us, we go to the beach, we head south, and it's my responsibility to pack the car which means I get to choose what goes and what doesn't. Come on, somebody. Man, my, you would think my family, you would think they believe we're moving to the beach every time we go. People got two and three suitcases and stuff. Like, you're, you're gonna be, you don't need that. You don't need a winter coat. We're going to the beach. I mean, this, they bring all this stuff out. And I don't tell them I'm not loading it because it would be a fight. What I do is I just don't load it, and they don't find out it didn't get loaded until we get to the beach. Hey, listen, it's my car. I loaded it. If you want it there, you got to get it there yourself. You better UPS that stuff there. <laughs> but here's the thing is, here's why. It's because there's limited capacity in that automobile. It can only carry so much stuff. So you got to choose what goes and what stays. You got to decide what's worth the trip and what needs to be left behind. And the same is true in our hearts. And the same is true in our minds. You got to decide what's going with me in the journey. Is fear and doubt and worry going to go with me? Or am I going to take what God has done? Am I going to take the celebration? Am I going to take where God's been faithful and God's been good? I'm going to steward my story because amnesia, shout it, amnesia is not an option. And man, you just walk with this memory of how good God has been and it sets you up. His faithfulness is my confidence. His faithfulness is the thing, man, that in seasons of silence gets you through to the other side. Here's this turning point. Check this out. Psalm 77, 13 and 14. I want you to notice this change. Watch this. He says, oh, God, your ways are holy. Come on, y'all got to read this with me. Is there any 
God as mighty as you, you are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. He's saying, notice this. Notice he started off the psalm with questions, and he ends it with statements. He starts off, God, where are you at? God, where have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why can't I hear your voice? And he ends it with, God, you are good. There's no God like you. Well, what changed? What shifted? His story didn't change. There's no way his situation changed in just writing or pinning 10 verses. What changed was his attitude. Come on, everybody needs an attitude adjustment. Not the kind your dad comes and gives you, mind you. Everybody needs an attitude adjustment. See, my attitude, my attitude, it may not change. My, or my memory, it may not change my situation, but it'll change my attitude. And my attitude may not change my circumstance, but it'll change my outlook. How many people know sometimes it's your outlook on life that really changes everything? Because, God, I may not feel that you're near, but I, when my outlook, I look at this situation and know that you're faithful, know that you've showed up in the past, know that you've always been there for me, know that you've never forsaken me. God, when I do that, I just know that, God, you're faithful and you're going to be there through every situation, even if I don't sense you. Because, listen to this. Even though God is silent, it doesn't mean that you have to be. Come on, somebody. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that you have to be. See, Asaph, he breaks off even though he feels like God is not close. Even though he doesn't sense God's presence and God's voice like he once did. Like he goes off like, God, there's no one like you. God, you're awesome. God, I worship you. He goes off into this time of celebration. It changes his attitude. It changes his outlook. And so you, gotta make a, you have to make a choice in a season of silence of whether you're going to worry or whether you're going to worship, whether you're going to accuse God or whether you're going to applaud God, whether you're going to groan and grumble about what God's not doing or give God glory for what he has done. And when you make the right choice, when you make the right play, in spite of maybe what God isn't doing the way you thought he could or the way you thought he should, I'm going to take control of what I can. I'm going to take control of my head, and I'm not going to allow stuff in of doubt and discouragement. I'm going to take control of my tongue, even though everybody else is silent. I'm going to choose to remember and declare the goodness of God in my life because he's been so faithful. And something just starts to shift. And it may not change the way you think it could or should change, but it doesn't mean the situation in your heart and your life and the struggle you're feeling and facing won't change because Asaph says, man, this is what I've learned. When I've learned to remember God, when I've learned that amnesia is not an option, something changes in my heart, even if it doesn't change in my situation. Because ultimately, disappointments are an opportunity to develop dependency. Everybody think about this for a minute. See, think about what faith is. This thing we're all involved in called faith. What is it? See, if everything's right in your life, you don't need faith. If your roof don't leak and your marriage is great and, man, your kids are serving God and you got a great job and all your bills are paid and your car started in the morning and you don't need new tires and the cat and the dog are getting along and nobody's mad at each other in your family and you've got a clean bill of health, there's really no need for faith. Faith shows up when you hit a bump in life and it doesn't look like you're going to make it through. The Bible says this way, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Everybody shout, not seen. not seen. 
It's the evidence of things not seen. God, I don't see you're here, but I have faith that you're there. Not because I hear you, but because you made a promise you're there. And so when you go through a season of silence, a lot of times, man, we want to lean towards despair. That's an opportunity to say, God, I'm going I'm to press in. I'm going to worship you for the good God you've been. I'm going to steward my story. I'm going to manage what you've given me for your glory. God, you have showed up. You are a deliverer. You are a God who saves. You are a God who provides. And if you've done it in the past, God, you're going to do it again. See, I would love to tell you that I've never been in a season of silence. I know sometimes sitting in seats looking at a stage that your assumption is that you know, I get paid to do this, so it's all perfect and it's all okay. I'd love to tell you that, but that's not true. There have been times in my life in ministry, man, facing a situation. I can tell you at times, man, I just sat and wept. God just felt overwhelmed. God, what do I do? What do I do? And it feels like you're at a, you know, you, you pull up to a light and it turns green and you got to go because traffic behind you is pushing you, but you don't know, do you go right, left, straight? Like there's been times in my life where I felt like I had to make a decision, but I didn't know what decision to make. God, you got to tell me what to do here. God, I need wisdom and like silence. So I know what it's like to feel silence. So what do you do? How do you handle the moments where you feel forsaken? What do you do when God's not there the way you thought he should be there? How do you deal with the silence that sometimes happens in our spiritual journey? Asaph says, man, you just got to choose in those moments to remember how good God has been in the past. Because again, his faithfulness is my confidence. Everybody say that. His faithfulness is my confidence. He's been faithful in the past, and I know he's going to be faithful in the future. The Apostle Paul, you get into the New Testament, and he, in light of everything that God has done in his own life and in the history of the nation of Israel because he was Jewish, but specifically in this guy Jesus coming and dying on a cross and raising from the dead, in light of what God had done in his recent past, Paul was able to say this, and I want everybody to get a hold of this. Paul was able to say this in Philippians 1.6. Everybody read this with me. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God wants you to have a certainty, even in the silence. God wants you to have a confidence even when it feels like God is not close. And it's not going to be because maybe God shows up in the moment and changes the situation. It's going to be because you make a choice to steward your story, to celebrate God's goodness in your past. And that just begins to change everything. And so, Father, Lord, I know in this room, God, a room this size, and God, people watching online that God there's a lot of people in this room struggling in the silence feeling like you've abandoned them to a season of hopelessness but Father I pray in the name of Jesus that your presence right now I pray that God you would touch every person I pray God that you'd wash over every life represented in faith church 
God, I pray most of all, Lord, help us, God, to take a hold of the season we're in. That, God, even though you're silent, God, we're going to start to shout and we're going to start to declare. We're going to start to remember what you have done in our past. God, we're going to declare how good you've been. We're going to celebrate how awesome you've been. We're going to, God, we're going to declare how faithful, how strong you have been in the past. God, it's going to set us up to know that, God, you're going to move again in our future. So, Lord, we just pray right now, God, help us to come through the tough season we're in. I pray, God, give every person in this room a peace that can only come from you. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to know ultimately that our confidence comes from a relationship with Christ. We can't have it on our own because the Bible makes it clear that all of us have made mistakes. We're all sinners, and that separates us from a God who's perfect. But he loves you enough that he sent his son to rescue you. He sent his son, Jesus, to make it possible for you to have a relationship with your creator. That's why Jesus came, to pay the price for sin, to die on the cross so we could have that relationship with our creator. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, I've never heard that or I've never experienced that. The Bible says all we have to do is say yes to God's grace. All we have to do is say yes to his love for us. And in that moment of saying, you're my savior, and I say yes to grace, that in that very moment, we become children of God. In that moment, man, we're forgiven and we're reconnected with our creator. And so I'm gonna close in a prayer. And if you're here, man, and you've never given your life to Christ or you're backslidden, you're far from God, today can be a life-changing moment for you. All you gotta do is, in your own words, in your own way, whisper to a God who's listening right now. Yes. And so as I pray this prayer, you can pray this with me or you can pray your own prayer. If you're watching online, I just want you to whisper a prayer to God and believe right here in this moment he's gonna save you and change you forever. Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you came to save us. I thank you that you died on the cross and paid a tremendous price so we could find forgiveness. I ask you to save us. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me your child and I receive your love and your grace in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week for week two of When God Goes Dark.